Welcome to Tactically Acquired. Our goal is to document military-connected living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our active duty, guard, reservists, veterans, ROTC, and their families, sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys across the military life cycle. The podcast is for anyone interested in joining the military, has been part of the military, or wishes to learn more about military life. In addition, we want to bridge the growing military-civilian divide through education. This is unfiltered, meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being a military-connected individual. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, a retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. My special guest today is uh, NKU, soon-to-be graduate, currently a student, but uh, very, very soon you'll be putting the cap and gown on and the honor cord and walking down the aisle. So just to get things started, just uh, please state your name and uh, what branch of service you were in. Hi everybody, uh, my name is Carolyn Downing and I served in the Army for five years, but I am switching over to the Marine Corps to go to officer candidate school. Which is really cool and a unique experience that we definitely want to delve into, but uh, just to clarify about your NKU status, so you're currently a student, but you graduate here like two weeks. Um, what is your major and why did you end up choosing that major? So my major is integrated studies um, with a focus in organizational leadership, social work, and women and gender studies. Awesome. Um, it's kind of a funny story. So when I first came to NKU, I wanted to be a music ed major. Awesome. Yeah. And then that didn't happen. So I changed it to criminal justice. And then I realized I didn't want to do that either. So I switched to psychology. And I stayed psychology for probably a year and then realized I would have to stay an extra three years just to catch up. Um, and at that point, I just wanted to have my bachelor's and then move on from there and eventually get my master's. So that's when I switched to integrated studies because it would be a faster graduation path. Awesome. So I want to come back to that in here in just a minute. But before we jump too far, I want to talk a little about your Army experience. So why did you end up choosing the Army over like, you know, anybody else? Why the Army? Um... Yeah, so that's a funny question. I actually didn't want to join the Army at first. When I was in high school and I was looking at different branches, took the ASVAB as a, a senior, mm-hmm. I wanted to go to Marine OCS from the get-go anyway. And I realized uh, a year into college, I needed more money for school. And the Army offered me a nice enlistment bonus and, yeah. you know, the GI Bill, um, GI Bill Kicker, as well as a tuition loan repayment plan. And so I caved <laughs> and kind of just went with the Army. It sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, you did a little bit of research and they just had the best opportunities for education moving forward. And so you kind of jumped right. all over that. So you used educational benefits from the Army to get your degree here at NKU, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And uh, you end up joining in the Army doing what? So I joined as a human resource specialist. Okay. And uh, what, did, well, let's, before I ask this question, let's jump back a little bit. So you joined the National Guard, correct? No, the Reserves. The Reserves. Okay. Thank you for correcting me. And um, 
why did you end up joining the reserves over, say, the National Guard or regular Army? Was it just because of the educational benefits, or was there other reasons behind that? So there were other reasons, okay. and, and I definitely did my research. So I didn't want to do active duty because I wanted to get my degree. Right. Um, and that's the only reason, honestly, I didn't pick that. But um, as far as the National Guard goes, I didn't want to do the National Guard because I didn't want to um, have it be an issue if I did decide to like switch branches because it is a harder process going from the National Guard to um, switching okay. per se. Yep. And especially if I, if I were to stay with the Army, which I almost did, um, I would have wanted to switch to fully active duty. And that, again, that's harder to do when you're in the National Guard versus when you're in the reserves. Great. You uh, can do it, but yeah. it's harder. Well, I'm, I really appreciate you going through that because I get people coming through the office all the time, and they're they're always leaning one way or another. And the first thing I always tell them is, first, talk to all branches of service. Make sure it's a good fit. See what they're going to offer you, um, and then make the best decision to offer that. And so it sounds like you did all that yeah. and ended up choosing what was best for you. Tell me about basic training. Is Army basic training in the reserves different than, say, regular Army basic training? No. You go um, through the same thing as National Guard and active duty. You're actually in a platoon in a company that is kind of mixed with okay. other National Guard folks um, from various states as well as other reservists and uh, other um, future active duty soldiers. Which is pretty cool, actually. It is cool, yeah. yeah. And when did you end up doing your basic training at? Uh, Fort Jackson, okay. South I mean, Carolina. You have any stories to share about that experience? How was that experience? Um, Overall, it was it was pretty fun. It was definitely um, a culture shock. Okay. Because I went from, you know, being a civilian, and I feel like I was a pretty disciplined person, um, naturally, because my parents were very strict, which I won't get into that. Okay. But just know that they were strict okay. and I was disciplined before. And then when I got to see like the military's way of disciplining people, I was like, whoa, this a little is different, huh? a little different. Yeah. Like, all right, I'm going to have to do some push-ups here. Okay. All right. And at the time, you know, I, I thought I was strong, but I could only do about 15 push-ups and then I was I was out for the count which mm -hmm. honestly isn't a lot and then by the time I was done with basic I was shocked to see that I could do closer to 50. Wow yeah. So quite the jump. <laughs> yeah absolutely. So it, it remind me again how old were you if you don't mind sharing when you went to basic training because you said you kind of signed up when you were in high school is that correct? No so I took the ASVAB when I was in high school. ASVAB okay. And then year into college is when I joined. Gotcha. Okay. So I joined okay. in 2018 that May. Okay. I think I was 19. Okay. Still still pretty young. Though, 19 huh? going on 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any uh, um, tips or tools for someone that might be thinking about going into the army uh, basic training? I mean, biggest tip is just honestly do what you're told. Do what you got to do to get through it. It's it's honestly not as bad as you think it is um a lot of people i think are scared to go into something like that because they're afraid to be yelled at but it's honestly not as bad as you think it is okay great great advice and so after basic training you went straight into your job training then yes okay. i literally went on a bus and went like two miles like to the right okay. to um <laughs> 
the adjutant general school, which is the HR school, basically. Okay. Um, so I was still in Fort Jackson, just literally went on a bus to somewhere else. <laughs> right. So you're still in Fort Jackson, Mississippi, correct? Uh, South Carolina. South Carolina. See, I already messed that up. See, Air Force guy. See, don't have a clue about <laughs> Fort. Um, so South Carolina. What was South Carolina like? South Carolina was nice uh, compared to here because mm-hmm. I remember plenty of years here in this area where I would get like sinus infections mm-hmm. around like the October, November time frame. Me right now. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Like I can tell. <laughs> but when I was in Fort Jackson, South Carolina... I didn't have a sinus infection. I was like, this is weird. The right. air is clearer. <laughs> and, you know, you're also not that far from the coast. Mm-hmm. So the air is just a lot different. Yeah. Now, I will say it's definitely hotter there because Absolutely. of, again, that coastline. Um, so I remember stepping off that plane um, from Cincinnati to North Carolina and then North Carolina to South Carolina there was just like this weird heat wave I felt. So that took a little bit to get used to, but it was nice all around, I think. Very cool. Just hot. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but you could breathe. I could breathe, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so what was uh, kind of your, I know you call it AIT, but how was your training for becoming an HR professional then? Looking back, it was pretty fun, actually. Like I remember waking up being like, oh, I get to go into a schoolhouse. This feels like school. This feels normal. And that was kind of a cool feeling. The only thing that, like, sucked was, um, you know, you were separated into, like, what's called black phase Mm -hmm. and then gold phase. Mm -hmm. And gold phase is when you could go, like, off post and come back on weekends. And there would be other platoons that were still in black phase while my platoon and another platoon were in gold phase. And the one still in black phase would get in trouble. So the whole company would get in trouble. Uh-huh. Um, so that kind of sucked sometimes. Right. But overall, it was a pretty good experience. And honestly, I wouldn't change it for nice. anything. Yeah. So kind of walk us through for us that are not familiar with the reserves. I was active duty. Um, after you get done with your training, what's kind of that next step then? So after you get done with your training, your unit should reach out to you most do but you know there are sometimes you you get missed and it's unfortunate but it does happen but i remember getting a text from the career counselor that worked at my old unit and that was the 633rd quartermaster battalion up in sharonville Um, and immediately after i got that text i connected to a soldier and they became like my sponsor if you will Mm -hmm. And basically what a sponsor is, is they just kind of introduce themselves to you and kind of show you around and help you get like administratively introduced to that unit. Hi, I'm Staff Sergeant Jason Myrtle. I'm the recruiter for the Kentucky Army National Guard here at NKU and in Northern Kentucky. The Kentucky Army National Guard offers 100% scholarship to any public university in Kentucky, along with a possible $20,000 enlistment bonus additional income while attending college, and numerous other benefits. If you have any interests or questions, my contact information will be in the show notes. Go Guard. And then after that, you know, you meet your commander, you meet your platoon sergeant, and from then on, you just show up to your drill weekends, and you can volunteer for assignments if they ask you to, and you're just introduced from there. 
Okay, so once you get done with your basic training and your job training, your AIT, you're kind of just on a regular schedule at that point. Is that correct? Yes. So we meet every... Every one weekend. weekend a month sometimes it's a two-day weekend sometimes it's four sometimes it's three and then after that um typically you'll have anywhere between two to three weeks of um annual training in the summer so did you get the opportunity to go anywhere cool we went to fort bragg for one uh one annual training and that was a lot of fun i i learned how to drive a, a humvee and we met some airborne soldiers so after, and you end up doing how many years in the reserves? So I did five years. Okay. Um, two of them, two and a half were spent being just a normal reservist. <laughs> like I did my my drills, my training every year. And then when I got promoted to E5 at about the two and a half year mark, awesome. I went to postal school, which again is in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. So you spent a lot of time in Fort Jackson, South yes. Carolina. Yes. <laughs> so it was it was weird because it was like, huh, I haven't been here in two and a half years. This mm-hmm. is kind of fun. Um, not really, but <laughs> it, it, it's fun to go back and see where you started and how far you are now. And then to, you know, drive by all the trainees and be like, ha, I was there <laughs> once. Um, <laughs> but after that, I put in a packet to go AGR, which is... Um, Basically, you're an active duty reservist. That's the easiest way I can explain it. So you have all of the benefits of being active duty. Um, You get your post 9-11 GI Bill after 30 days, just like an active duty soldier would. And you have like full coverage, health benefits, and then you get like holidays off and things like that. So you're wearing your uniform at your unit. You're reporting every day. Again, just like you would if you were at an active duty station. And I got an offer to do that. And then for the rest of my time, I was with the 478th Engineer Battalion out of Fort Thomas. Very cool. When did you end up deciding to come to NKU then? Was it right out of high school? Yes. Okay. And why did you end up choosing NKU? So it was between NKU, EKU, or Bellarmine. Those are all the places I applied to. Mm -hmm. Um, I could have applied to more, but I didn't feel that interested in other schools. I originally didn't really want to come to NKU either, but I also realized uh, I didn't have a car, so I couldn't just go wherever I wanted to. And NKU was far enough away where I could like stay away from home for a little bit and get to be on my own and discover who I am Right. without also having to be far away from my parents that way if something did happen i was still right there um because i'm from erlinger which is only like 20 minutes from here right so then you came to nku you decided to join the army Mm -hmm. and you said mainly for educational benefits correct yes and after you started getting your you went to basic you went to ait job training when did you kind of start picking up those educational benefits and you used them to get your degree, I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. So um, after my initial job training, like as soon as you're done with AIT, your career counselor should put uh, your information in so that you can start receiving your bonus and your GI Bill kicker. And then that's when your commander at that point should do your NOBI, which 
Um, and that's your notice of basic eligibility. It's a document that your commander signs, basically. And I had him sign that, and then I brought it over to NKU. And then once I turned in my NOBI, um, we filled out some more paperwork. Um, I had to make a phone call to the hotline, and then I immediately started using my kicker, and um, which was chapter 60-something? 1606. 1606, yep. yeah. Or 1607, but probably 1606. It was a 1606, I remember. Yeah. Probably tuition assistance, I'm assuming. Yes, I did use tuition assistance for a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. And then I also had my normal civilian financial aid, which helped. And I had some scholarships and stuff. So that was how I paid for the first part uh, moving forward after 2018. And then 2021 is when I got that active duty offer. And then that's when my reserve stuff stopped, and um, I took a little bit of a hiatus and took a semester or two off, and then I came back and I started using my post-9-11 GI Bill, and I've been using it ever since. Awesome. Yep. And it's a great, all those benefits are great benefits, for sure. Yes. Um, so you have a very unique story, because there's not a whole lot of people that kind of jump in from the enlistment side to go to the officer side, which you're going to do, but you're also jumping kind of from Army to Marine Corps. Do you mind sharing a little bit of why you decided to become an officer and why you end up choosing to go Marine Corps? So I always wanted to be an officer um, just because, I mean, th there's like a multitude of explanations why, but I just remember seeing like good officers and I remember seeing bad officers and I've kind of seen both sides of the spectrum and I know that sometimes prior enlisted soldiers or service members in general can make better officers because they know what it's like to be in those trenches and kind of see what NCOs go through and I think being one beforehand is almost important so you can be more empathetic as an officer. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, sometimes there are also stubborn enlisted service members that make really bad officers because they get stuck in that enlisted side um, mindset. So I wanted to kind of bridge the gap, and I knew I was going to be an officer, but I decided to go enlisted, one, for the benefits like mm -hmm. we talked about, and two, so that I could see what it is like and build my way up and get the respect of my chain of command so that one day um, I can see kind of what it takes to make a good officer and not only just that, make like a really good service member. Absolutely. Of course, I'm a Mustang as well. So uh, prior enlisted, became an officer. Uh, and that process is a very difficult process a lot of times to be able to do that. Can you talk a little bit about those that might be thinking about doing something similar to you or going to do or doing um, and what that process looked like to be, get into officer candidate school? So um, the biggest thing is to make sure you get your degree because mm -hmm. you can't be an officer without having at least a bachelor's. Hence um, the word commissioned, which yes. people will argue with me sometimes about, but the, to be an officer, you have to have a bachelor's. Correct. Minimum. Yep. In order to receive a commission from the United States government, 
have to have that bachelor's. And the process to get to um, OCS, at least for the Marine Corps, it can be as basic and complicated as you want to make it. Um, If you are someone who is working out and you're fit and you can pass your PT test with flying colors, it's not going to be too hard for you to put in an OCS packet. Now, you have to make sure that, you know, you don't have any crazy health issues or any, like, crazy legal issues, I will say. But as long as, you know, you're not um, flagged for any of those reasons, then it, it doesn't have to be that complicated. You just go talk to a recruiter, say, hey, I'm interested in this. You hear what they have to say. And um, before you make any kind of decision in any way, you have to do your research. That way you know what you're getting yourself into. And if you have prior service members, no matter how far back they serve, like in your family, talk to them, talk about their experience. Like, obviously it's not gonna be the same then as it is now, but it's still important to get like some kind of perspective from a service member because the only true perspective you can gain from the military is getting someone who's been in before. I love that you said all that research and get additional information, especially talk to those that did it, right? Absolutely. And, and see what their experiences was. Everybody's experience might be a little bit different. And that's why I love the fact that you, uh, I appreciate you coming on and talk from a reserve perspective. Um, we've only had one other reserve um, individual on the show, and it's what's great about it is they also <laughs> were a Mustang, so they could talk from the enlisted perspective and from the officer's perspective. Um, and they, they stayed in the same branch. They were both Army, uh, but they went from guard to reserves. So it's great to get that full perspective. I tell you all that because if you're interested in learning more, look at other of the Tactically Acquired podcasts because we have just about everything that you want and just to get that new perspective. So you're heading out to OCS. Mm-hmm. You're leaving very soon. Going to the Marine Corps. What do you expect that experience to be like compared to your basic training from the enlisted side? Well, I expect it to be uh, a lot harder, mm-hmm. for one, because military expects a lot more out of their officers and, than they do, like, you know, an enlisted person coming in as a private. You know, for the most part, when you're a private, like a E1 through E3 coming in, and sometimes E4s, it depends, you know, you're kind of starting from scratch, mm-hmm. and they're usually younger they're not necessarily going to be either in their 20s. They're going to be like 17, 18, 19, like how I was. Um, but when you're going through something like OCS, there's a lot more that's expected out of you. Like you've been through you've been through college or you're going through college and you've written essays. So they're going to expect essays from you. And I expect, you know, them to expect essays from me. I'm probably going to be challenged on the physical side. Like, I'm a pretty tough woman, mm-hmm. I, I think. Um, and I can handle a lot physically, but I expect to still be challenged when I go to OCS. I'm excited to see how far I can push those boundaries right. um, and see what just truly what I'm capable of. Um, obviously, on the enlisted side, it was still challenging too. Like, I, I was still challenged, those ruck marches, if you've never done one before, they can be hard. And I'm just expecting to see more of that 
um, only I expected to go a step further. Absolutely. And I love if you're open for it when you get back and uh, completing all your coming back down and talking a little bit about the experience that you went through uh, from an OCS perspective. But you met, you did mention that you are a woman in the military. What kind of perspective does that bring? Was it, uh, I don't know, harder to have different challenges? Was there opportunities? So, um, yes, there were definitely different challenges and different things that, you know, I unfortunately had to go through as a woman. Um, and I, I hate saying it, but right now it, it, it is still true and it still does hold a place in my heart. But when I first came in, I felt like, you know, I had to kind of prove myself mm -hmm. because a lot of the times, um, and it's unfortunate again, and it's mm -hmm. not true for every woman that comes in, but a lot of those young girls are coming in and they're perceived to be a little more lazy and they just kind of let the men per se do more of the work. And I came in and I saw that and I was like, um, no, that's not going to fly with me. I'm going to bust my butt just as hard as the males do, if not harder. Right. So I felt like I was constantly proving myself and it got to a point where there was one girl, um, and I won't say her name, but there was a specialist at my old unit, and she walked up to me and noticed that, you know, I was working really hard um, helping the males, as you should as a soldier. Like, you're a soldier first. Right. You're, like, you don't see gender. You are a soldier. And I was helping out the males, once again. And she walked up to me and she goes, you're going to hurt yourself. You really need to like take a step back and just let the males do the work. And I look around and her and two other females are just kind of standing there watching. And I, I looked at them and I was like, uh, excuse me. And I kept doing what I was doing. And I was a private first class at the time. And I had a specialist coming to me and I was like, I don't care what your rank is. <laughs> I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm getting paid to work. I'm going to work. Right. And there were experiences like that. It's disheartening to see as a woman because I've always been that hard worker. Mm -hmm. And um, when I got to the 478th Engineer Battalion, and I'm really proud of this story, I did the best squad competition. It was before it was the best warrior. And then they just recently switched to best squad where you have a squad um, and there's two NCOs and three junior enlisted. And I led a squad November of 2021, and we ended up in last place. And then I went back the next year in November of 2022, so a year ago, and I led a squad, and we ended up in first place. That's awesome. And I was the only female squad leader, and I was one of four total females, um, and I was at an engineer battalion. And my group was a little ragtag. Like, there was me, there was another HR specialist, there was one combat engineer, one um, 12 Tango, which is uh, a survey, a surveyor. So it, w it was really cool and fun um, to have that experience because I was like, wow. And, you know, I, I led my team from being last to being first. And... When we got selected from the brigade as well, because um, this was just the battalion level, um, we went to the brigade and it was just like, it was kind of on paper. They selected us to represent them at the division level 
And again, guess who was the only female squad leader? And that's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. So that was really cool. And, you know, I I got an award or two from that. And um, I just got a lot of respect. And I'm sure it really helped your OCS packet, too. Yes. It looked really good on my packet, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I'm thankful for that Army Achievement Medal. And... I'm thankful for my experience with the 478th Engineer Battalion. If if I could have gone out differently from the Army, I, I wouldn't have because right. I just had such a great experience there. Like, I remember my commander coming up to me and saying, hey, Sergeant Downing, and his name was Captain Hasto. Cool dude. Very cool dude. He came up to me. He's like, Sergeant Downing, if... If you guys win, if the headquarters headquarters company wins the battalion level, I'm going to have pizza for the whole company. <laughs> so we were like, all right, bet, sir. And he brought um, Starbursts for us. And those Starbursts, they helped a lot during that 12-mile ruck march, let me tell you. That's awesome. That's a great story, and I appreciate you sharing that. It, it, uh, it just shows, one, having that mindset Hey, I'm not going to sit around and let everybody else do the work. I'm jumping in and doing the work and, and showing everybody that I'm still capable and I can do that. And then going to the next level and actually competing, mm-hmm. learning, going back and winning and going all the way up is uh, just shows the perseverance and resiliency that you bring to the table. And no wonder you were selected for OCS, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious if you could go back and give someone that might be listening to this podcast and they want to, they're getting ready to join or they're thinking about joining, um, what advice would you tell them? Um, the biggest advice that I would say, if if you have it in your heart and you want to join the military, hold on to your why. Always remember, like, why you're doing something. Because if you ever forget it, you're going to give up. But if you hold on to your why and you're like, I'm doing this because I need a better future. Hold on to that why. Remember that why and just stay true to yourself. I love that. Hold um, on to your why. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And um, so you're also married. And yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure when you got married, but uh, you're going to be married as you go into OCS. Mm-hmm. Um, what does your spouse think about uh you go into officer training school, and what does that look like as a married couple? Well, at first she was mad at me for leaving the Army because um, we were making a decent amount of money, but she knew that it was my dream to mm-hmm. be an officer and specifically to be an officer in the Marine Corps. And I told her, like, I will always have regrets if I don't do this now while I'm still young and capable. And I told her, we'll be making even more. (laughs) (laughs) Which is true. You would do as an officer, right? (laughs) Literally. Um, And she was like, okay, we can consider this an investment. And she's actually really supportive. And she's really excited for me to go. So, yeah. It took a couple uh, long talks. Right. Because it is a (laughs) commitment. And the reason I brought it up, it's a commitment for the entire family. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to be doing a lot of work. But there's a lot of worry that's going to be going on back home, too. Yes, so absolutely. it is an absolute commitment for everybody. So communication is key, right? Oh, absolutely. That yeah. is the key to any relationship, whether it's like a work relationship, um, a real relationship, or just a friendship. Right. Absolutely. Um, but I'm kind of curious, 
how it happened or what happened from the experience that you got from the military, your basic training, your job training. You, so in the Army, you get what's called JST. Every branch gets JST except for the Air Force. They got their own special little things, CCAF and Space Force now. Mm-hmm. Um, did they, they be in the school, in the college you're in, accept your JST credits and did it help you towards your degree? Oh, yeah. They absolutely accepted it. And it did take a couple uh, emails just showing them, like, hey, I I did this, and I just want to make sure, like, you guys will accept this. Not only did they accept what was on my JST, there are actually a couple extra courses that I took that I can't remember what the program is called, but I want to say it was... uh, Yeah, I don't don't remember. Um, But there were a couple courses that I took in the military that didn't necessarily count towards the JST, um, but I believe should have. Right. And I fought for that. And they were willing to take that as like an outside learning credit. Okay. So that cut off like a year of my time. That's awesome. Which that pretty cool. was really important for me because, again, I just want to have my bachelor's right. and move on. Yeah. Well, and it's uh, another important aspect of that, too, is because you gave up almost a year of your life to join the military and begin with. Yeah. So uh-huh. the, seeing that as that credit coming back to you is that learn, living experience. And, I mean, Army credit's Army credit, right? It's credit oh, absolutely. So, and you've earned it. So that's awesome. Do you have any final thoughts, any last words? I mean... I do kind of want to talk about NKU a little bit. Yes, please. Um, Because I I know I said earlier that, you know, I didn't originally want to go to NKU. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I didn't fall in love with the school. Great point. Um, Because I immediately, you know, I got involved and I got involved with Alpha Phi Omega, which is a co-ed service fraternity. I got involved with Sigma Alpha Yoda, which is a musical technically fraternity, but it's more like a sorority because it's all female or um they accept non-binary folks too now actually and then i became a lgbtq plus scholar and i've been pretty involved ever since and honestly if it weren't for the military i probably wouldn't have stayed in college and then if it weren't for you know all those experiences i had at nku i also probably wouldn't have stayed in college And then all of the great friends and people that I have connected with has just made me really fall in love with NKU. Wow, I love that. (laughs) And and, and involvement and engagement, um, and I'm sure that helped your OCS Pacted too because you were were leaders in every one of those organizations you mentioned. Yes, I'm the current president of Alpha Phi Omega. Um, I'm not going to be in the next week though because i'm graduating obviously congratulations (laughs) thank you i am the former president of sigma alpha iota and then like i said i'm a q plus scholar too and then i just got inducted into the national society for leadership and success so that's awesome yeah yeah congratulations on all fronts thank you (laughs) yeah so that's that's a great i mean they're just major accomplishments it's just my neck Continue. will be heavy. Yeah, when exactly, I walk. <laughs> exactly. And then you're jumping right into OCS, leaving yeah. here in less than a month. The head to is they go Paris Island? No, Quantico. Okay, oh, Virginia. That makes sense. Quantico. <laughs> um, and how long is the OCS training? Um, about ten weeks. Okay. So, and then are you after you complete the the OCS training? Um, I'm assuming you go into Marine Corps job. 
So you go to um, the OCS, you become a Marine, basically, and you're no longer being assessed whether or not, like, you should be in the Marine Corps. Um, you go to what's called the basic school, and that's about six months, and that's where you kind of um, learn what you're good at, and the Marine Corps decides what your job will be. And then after that is when you go through your actual job training. So you're basically going to go on at least probably eight to ten months, if not a year. Yeah, uh, pretty start, much. Starting in January. Yeah. So a, a real commitment and well-deserved and you keep con- kicking ass and taking <laughs> names and continue to do so. And please come back and visit us and come back and be on the show. We'll and do. go back through that whole entire experience. And maybe bring your wife. I think it would be great to get a perspective from both, pers- you know, what she kind of went yeah. through um, while you were gone, too, you know. I'm sure she'd enjoy that, too. <laughs> yeah, and let us know what you need while you're out there. And, uh, again, any final words you'd like to, to end on? Um, I'm just really happy to be here i'm really excited to move on to bigger and better things and i'm just excited to continue my military journey because it's not over yet and i agree with that and uh (laughs) hold on to your why right absolutely hold on to your why (laughs) and uh thank you so much for sharing your living history even though it's continuing on um, as we speak so thank you so much thank you